Last week I did a little history of Methodism, <coughs> and I want to sort of continue along those lines. There's something that's kind of jumped out at me that I'm just going to toss in here at the beginning. <coughs> and you remember, maybe you don't, last week I said that uh, Wesley formed a club in his college, and he called it the Disciplined Method to Holiness. That's what he called it. And uh, as a derogatory term, they said, well, you are a Methodist, or you have a method for everything. And so the word Methodist was a derogatory term. Uh, it meant to be something negative, but of course they turned it into something positive. You also should know that the word Christian means actually uh, a Christ one, is what it means. And that was a derogatory term, too. In the beginning, when Christians started the book of Acts, they said, oh, what do we call these people? Let's call them Christ ones. Uh, they're Christ ones, or they're Christians. And that was meant to be a derogatory term, too. Uh, they said, this, these people are following some guy that died on a cross. Why would anybody follow him? And so that was meant to be a derogatory term. Of course, we changed that, didn't we? <laughs> change that into a positive thing. And I want to talk about one more uh, derogatory term as we go into uh, a little history here. 1650, there's a man named George Fox. George Fox. And George Fox is arrested, taken into court, and charged as blasphemy. And uh, He's arrested and put on trial for blasphemy. And what he said was, Christ has taken away my sin, and in Christ there is no sin. Therefore, they charge him with blasphemy. <laughs> that seems a little odd to you. Uh, yeah, those are times when if somebody came along with a new idea, uh, they uh, kind of ruffled everybody's feathers. And in England, in the Church of England in particular, things were very plain, and you sat there and behaved yourself. Nobody said amen. Nobody shouted out. Everybody minded their own business and quietly came to church and quietly went home. Well, uh, Mr. Fox, he got uh, excited about God. And he said, what do we do with people like that? He went to see a minister and he said, maybe you should try tobacco. It might calm you down a little. <laughs> Another one said, why don't you just get married? And you can calm down a little that way. Another one suggested, well, they do bloodletting like they did to George Washington. They cut you and bleed you out a little. He said, maybe that's what you need. We'll get a little blood out of you. And that's what they told George Fox. Well, when they, he was on trial... For blasphemy in court, he said to the judge, you should tremble in fear of God. And the judge said, you people, your followers are the tremblers, not me. I'm not trembling. You're the tremblers. You're the people who tremble. You are the Quakers. And thus George Fox took the derogatory term Quaker. 
And the Quaker, he started, <clears throat> he had a vision, he said, that he should evangelize the world. From the day of that vision, three years later, there were 50,000 Quakers. That's a pretty powerful movement. Three years more, there's 100,000. And the Quakers, you know, came to Pennsylvania. From England to Pennsylvania, uh, William Penn uh, was a Quaker. And he offered Pennsylvania as a sanctuary for Quakers. And they came and they did some wonderful things. They became friends with the Indians. And they stood up for anti-slavery before anybody else did. And they were good people. And uh, there was a Quaker church here just up the road. If you go up to Millville and you turn right and there's a little fork there, there's an old stone building in there. That was a Quaker church. That's where that started. That was a Quaker church right in this area. And so uh, that kind of people who were tired of formal religion and excited about God, they couldn't fit into England's tight uh, ways of doing things, and so they came to America. All kinds of them came, but the Quakers were one of the ones that came. In other words, Christian was a derogatory term, Methodist also, and the Quakers had a derogatory term. They called themselves the Society of Friends, and that's what they were uh, known here. By, that was called a friend's church. The Quakers and friends, they, they called themselves, they went by the idea that Jesus said, uh, I will call you friends. And so they called themselves the friend's church, all right? And I want to go back because as I've been thinking about these things, I'm thinking about this little rural area right around here. Go that way a little bit and go that way a little bit. And what did we have? Well, we know that right here, in East Shelby, that's, this is a map. <laughs> it's not a very good map, okay? But you'll have to trust me on that. Uh, in East Shelby, there was a Methodist church, this one right here. All right, if we go south a little bit, we come to one Catholic church, one of the only ones down in that area. As you go down the road into Wheatville, there's a Catholic church on the corner. If you go over to Alabama Center, there was a Methodist church there. You go down to Basin, there was a Methodist church there. If you go up the road here to uh, what's called Fletcher Chapel Road, goes over uh, that way, there's a church there which was a Lutheran church. There was a group of Germans who moved into this area in the early 1800s, and they wanted their own church. And so that little church, now it's a house down there on the end of Sour Springs Road, was a Lutheran church. I think eventually it became a Baptist church. Uh, then you go over to West Shelby, and there's a Methodist church there. Go into Shelby Center, there was a Methodist church there. So if we go up to Millville, there's three churches there. One, as you turn left towards Medina, was a congregational church there. Congregational churches are uh, churches where everybody votes on everything. 
all right? Everybody votes on everything. It's a democracy, all right? And they've died out a great deal because it doesn't work. <laughs> democracy is not what the church was meant to be. Right? And then you have the Quaker church up there, right, in Millville, too, the Quaker church, and then another Methodist church there. And so uh, just in this little block from Millville down to Alabama, there's all these churches, Methodist, 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 Methodist. By far, the overwhelming majority of them were Methodist. All right, now, let's do something here, because this is really what I want to talk about today. Um, the Methodist Church in Basem closed. Okay. Catholic Church is closed now. Methodist Church in East Shelby closed. Lutheran Church closed. Methodist Church in West Shelby closed. Methodist Church in Shelby Center closed. Congregational Church closed. Quaker Church closed. That's a fascinating record of failure. Of failure. And if you were to ask, and I asked when I got here, why did this church close? And they said, well, uh, we had declining enrollment. Right? And they said the reason all the churches closed was declining enrollment, which uh, is a true statement, but I do not call that the reason why church is closed. And so I want to think today just a little bit about that concept that so many of those churches that were pretty vital. This church was a pretty vital church and so was West Shelby and uh, ch churches were really up and going and uh, they shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk until they closed. I had an old man, he was 97, his name was Justin Roberts, see his name on that little window frame up there, and uh, he told me, he said, it was the fire hall. Everybody went to the fire hall instead of church. <laughs> well, <clears throat> maybe, okay, maybe, but there's a little bit more to it than that. Um, what is a church? What is a church? How do you define church? Well, one thing it isn't is just a society. It's not an association. It's none of those things. A church is a living and breathing body. It is God who puts life into the church. Right, that's what it is. It's not a group of people or our friends and get together once a week. That is not what it is. It's God himself breathing energy, spiritual life into a group of people. And that becomes the living, breathing body of believers. All right? And they have 
to be uh, fed. And it was Jesus who decided this is how it works. He's the one who founded what we call the church. And he said, uh, <coughs> you, Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yeah, yeah. Feed my lamb. Do you love me? I, yes, I said I do. All right, then feed my sheep. All right. And so the church is defined as a living, breathing body where life is, is breathed into it by God, the Holy Spirit. And he says that life has to be supported. You have to feed the sheep. Sheep must be fed. Flock must be cared for. And flock must be fed. And Jesus showed us, well, what does it mean? Well, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. And you will tell them to do all the things that I commanded you. Right? And so, how do we feed the sheep? We tell them what Jesus said. What Jesus said to do. What Jesus said to do. He said, that way you'll be feeding my sheep. And so, why only two that didn't close out of all the churches that were here? What happened? What happened to that? Well, <coughs> Whose fault? Pastor or the congregation? <laughs> Somebody said both. That's a, that's, that's a good answer. Yeah, that's a good answer. Think back in history, all right? And things really don't change. God didn't redefine the church every generation so it would be a little different. No, no. God said, here's what the church is. It's a living, breathing body of people who need to be fed regularly. And what is it that we feed? Well, we feed the sheep. And really, uh, the essential part is the Bible. All right? We got God's book. He had a book written, sent it to us. Said, there's what you need to feed sheep. Now use it and feed the sheep. And Martin Luther, if we go back to the beginning of what we call the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther's problem is that the Bible and what Jesus said to do is not what we're doing anymore. Right? In Martin Luther's time, if you said, well, I don't want my family to go to hell, they said, well, you've got to pay us some money. Give us some money. And we'll say a prayer, do something to get your relative out of hell. And they were called indulgences. And so the church went around all over saying, it's going to cost you money to get your uh, <coughs> relative friend out of purgatory. And get, make sure they get to heaven. So we pay up, will you? Pay up. And Peter's, and Martin Luther said, I don't think that's how it works. 
when I read the Bible, he says, I find that the faith, the just shall live by faith. We have to have faith in Christ. And it's got nothing to do with what the church is teaching at this time. I want to get back to what the church said. Or I want to feed the sheep. And so he nailed up on the door of his church a paper with 95 questions. He said, I got 95 questions I want to ask why you believe this and don't believe what the Bible says. Well, what ended up is they arrested him, they put him on trial, and they condemned him to die. Don't be messing with us. We're in charge, not you. Right. And so they condemned him. They had something called a diet of worms. It was a trial. He was condemned to die. And uh, of course, he didn't die. But he founded Lutheranism. And he said, we've got to get back to the Bible. And so he started giving people the Bible. Restore God's word so that you can feed the flock of God. And that came up, the same situation, even with, with these churches here, same situation comes up. <clears throat> There's a guy in Switzerland named John Calvin. And John Calvin is starting another movement in Europe, and he's saying, we got to get it right. We got to get back to what the Bible teaches. And so he writes what's called the Institute. They're pretty complicated, hard to read. He's a smart guy. He wrote things that were hard to read. But they're very good if you really want to spend the time. And he said, here's what the Bible teaches. And so he wrote these out, explained what the Bible teaches, trying to get people back into the Bible. So if you're really going to feed the flock of God, you've got to have the Bible. And whenever it gets cut out of a church, it not, falls into disuse, then we're not feeding the flock of God. And so I think one of the things that I find that's true is that every church has an individual characteristic. Uh, churches are individual things. And people say, well, they're all the same. All the Catholic churches are the same. All the Methodist churches are the same. All the, and I used to go to Alliance Church. They're all the same. Alliance churches aren't all the same. I went to some that was so dead you, you had all you could do to poke yourself and stay awake. Horrible. And then I went to some that were pretty exciting. They were good. Right? Why? Because from, from church to church, it works out usually that there's an individual congregation with a minister who works together and they can be successful if they stick to the Bible, all right? Now, what happened in a lot of congregations was the ministers went to college and didn't learn anything about the Bible. He said, we get an educated minister. He's been going to school for six years. He must be the best. Yeah, well, he doesn't use the Bible. Matter of fact, they come from college and say, you know, the, not, the Bible's not all true. That Noah's Ark story, don't, you don't really think that's true, do you? Do you think that God created the world in seven days? No. All right, and that's what was coming out of colleges. And so when people came to a church, they did not hear to feed people the word of God. 
And so there's two things that are essential. Number one, the minister better know the Bible. He better understand it and be able to explain it and want to explain it. Want to. And the congregation better want to hear it and want to hear more, want to have more. And so there is a responsibility and part of the minister and then the congregation has a responsibility to be hungry. And so that when somebody puts the food on the table, you eat it. I'm going to give me more, all right? And that's how the church goes. And without that, without that, then the church doesn't grow and it starts to shrink, declining enrollment. And here it got down to like what I heard, uh, there's like 12 people. And they said, we can't afford to keep it going, shut it down. And why did it get down to 12 people? Well, I'm thinking that one of those two things, maybe both of those things were true. They weren't really hungry for God's word, and the minister didn't supply it. And so a church has an individual life. A pastor and a congregation can work together. And I've seen Presbyterian churches, you go to one and there's five people. Episcopal church got six people and you can go to one over there, and there's 150 people in it. Obviously, they're different. All right? So I think God didn't say, let's make a bunch of denominations. Let's make all the denominations alike everywhere we go, and that'll work out just fine. God didn't say that. God said, I want my people hungry for my word, and I don't care where they are. If somebody's willing to feed them, then there should be good results. And so the closing of all those churches is a kind of a fascinating thing that there'd be so many in a small area and almost all of them closed, including this one. And so uh, it's the same thing when Martin Luther's back there saying, you're teaching these people things that aren't true. I want to get back to the Bible. And John Calvin says, we need to understand the Bible. That's what we need. And those guys are leading people back, and they start a movement, and it becomes the Presbyterians, it becomes the Methodists, the Lutherans, and so forth. And they're all okay as long as they keep to the rules, feed my sheep, feed my lamb. Right? If the flock is starving, church loses his life, his energy, spiritual power, and the doors are bound to be closed. All right, so I think that's kind of a fascinating thing. And I read a story of a local family here, and they were, well, one of their names is on our window. Okay? And I thought, well, that's a great family. The name's on the window of the church. And then as I was being told the history, all of a sudden there's a whole generation that turned away from the church, didn't do nothing. I said, how did that happen? A good, solid family? And then I looked at the date, 1959. That's when the year this church closed. Church closed. All right? And so that family that had 
come here for all those years, the third generation from the guy on the window, uh, all of a sudden they're all everywhere. Nobody goes to church at all. Why? Church is dead, closed. So there's a responsibility that we have to preach the word, make sure we get that message out to feed the flock of God. And the flock wants to be hungry for that. And then, what do you got? You got God blessing, God filling the place, God doing what he does best. All right, so it's a little bit of history of the local area. And there was a Quaker church, imagine that. People who quaked, who were filled with the Spirit of God, did wonderful things, but their church closed. Like everybody else's nearly. So, it's a little history. Thank you. Thank you.